My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Expect the unexpected. You know that old adage. And really, it's not too far off of um, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. That's folk wisdom about how to withstand the unknowns of the future. To kind of assume the worst or the thing you least expect is indeed what will happen. And that idea springs to mind as our story shifts in focus over to Joseph. See, while by Luke's account, which we'll have over Christmas Eve, Christmas Day weekend here, uh, Mary is well aware of what's happening. Not just Mary, but several others. But for Joseph, at least here in Matthew, it seems like the news is a pretty big surprise. Here throughout Advent, we've had this constant theme of anticipation and how our worrisome anticipation, such as waiting for God's judgment, is subsumed by hopeful anticipation, such as waiting for the promised Messiah. For most of the people we consider during this time, whether it's the Israelites living in exile, the early church struggling to get by and get along, or Jesus's parents, some close relatives, John the Baptist, almost everyone is anticipating in one of those two ways, with dread or with hope, or both. They know God's coming. They prepare for it. They proclaim it. What does that mean for them? Well, that depends. But maybe not as much Joseph. 
And that's peculiar because you might on the one hand think this is kind of unrelatable. It's hard to feel what Joseph is feeling. Angels delivering news of a miraculous birth with promises about who this child will be. That's not something we experience every day. I mean, that's not something most people will experience firsthand ever. And yet, on the other hand, this makes Joseph, in some ways, incredibly relatable because when God acts, odds are we are caught by surprise. It's that unexpected stuff we couldn't plan for. Not only that, but if we boil down the news, as we have it here in Matthew, yeah, the news is miraculous, of course, but fundamentally, the news is something like this. Joseph, you are going to have a child and you are going to raise that child. That's the kind of news that comes unexpectedly every single day. At least somewhere in the world today, somebody is getting that news. And that kind of news changes everything. It's news that keeps on changing everything because even more so than before, you just cannot know what's going to come next. Life's full of surprises as it is. Children compound that. The unexpected bring about more unexpected things. Now, you may recall that some time ago, upon considering the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, or common translation nowadays, happy are the meek, but nowadays, my preferred translation of that word, makarios, satisfied are the meek. Satisfaction is a measure of happiness, and it's the only one that continues to go up once you've got a certain level of income. Specifically, enough income to not worry about food or shelter and do some things that you enjoy. Satisfaction is the one that keeps going up because, well, you get, find satisfaction in travel, vacations, that sort of thing. Now, satisfaction is interesting because it describes experiences that are usually pretty stressful while you're going through them. But when they're over, you're glad you did it, and you strongly consider doing it again. Now, we've all had trips like that, right? Vacations where it did not at all feel like it was worth the money, the time, the travel, the energy, the stress. And yet, when next year rolls around, we're right back to it. Well, it turns out children are the other major contributor to satisfaction. Life with them is filled with these stresses, big or small, all along the way. And yet sprinkled throughout are these strong senses of accomplishment, of joy, what we would call satisfaction. Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant, and if he knows nothing else, he knows he's not the father, not the biological father, anyhow. They're betrothed, what we might call engaged. It's a legal distinction implying they will soon be fully married, but the cultural expectation was they did not engage in marital activities yet, and of course they would be exclusive to one another. Now, Joseph doesn't want Mary to be shamed any more than she has to, despite her having apparently wronged him, so he sets out to divorce her quietly. His first thoughts are not on the possibility of satisfaction, but instead on the implications of their situation. What will people say? Who's this other guy? What else is Mary not being honest about? How can I get out of this situation gracefully? 
All perfectly good and reasonable questions for a person in his position. So God intervenes by sending a messenger. In Greek, messenger is just angelo, something like that. An angel. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the angel or what's coming to raise this child. The first assurance the messengers always give in the New Testament. We've got a few examples around the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. The boy who is to be born will be a sign, to wit, a sign of many things. He is a sign of the Holy Spirit's activity in the world in this bold, big, new way. He's a sign that God is working to save people from their sins, and that will happen through Jesus. He's a sign that Emmanuel, God, is with us, not against us, not just for us, but just with us. So this is a hardship that Joseph takes on to trust an angel in a dream, to trust Mary, to move his family twice, to upend everything he had and knew for the sake of someone else. At God's call, Joseph, right from the start, is Christ-like for the sake of the Christ child and for the sake of the world. I'm left wondering then, did Joseph know that this experience would bring him satisfaction, that all that stress and uneasiness and danger would be worth it. If not for himself, did he find comfort in knowing that the world would be improved because of his efforts? Not just his efforts, of course, but he's contributing here. Or was he the sort to just do what must be done, to tackle what was before him in life? Because that's just what you do. That's how he was. Or maybe it's a bit of both. His work was not in vain. Though we don't hear about him once Jesus is an adult, scholars have long presumed he was probably therefore an older man. Perhaps he passed away before Jesus' ministry started, or at least he was confined not to travel. That ministry does indeed start, and the salvation afforded us by the Christ event in total comes about, as it did, in part, thanks to Mary, and to Joseph. Now, again, this is a bit too miraculous of a story for us to see ourselves in it too quickly, too easily, right? And yet, at the same time, Joseph's experience is, at its core, if we boil it down to some of the fundamentals here, is awfully relatable. Those who take on a parental role for children experience that stress turned into satisfaction. They can see how the world is altered, if only our small corner of it, by keeping children safe and directing them to make the most of their lives so that they bring more good into the world than they would have without you. We can see in them a sign about what God is up to, assurances of the future, and more. And we can span, expand this concept a bit too. Not everyone takes on that parental role, but everyone can do something like this at God's call. I was reminded this past week at a, uh, a funeral service about Jeremiah, another one of those prophets that speaks in regards to this Babylonian exile. He was preaching to people who were without Everything was falling apart. And in response to this context, Jeremiah goes out and buys a vineyard. And that's a peculiar thing to do because a vineyard is something that would take years, years of work to ever see any positive returns. 
So he's not sure at all if he would see the results of his labors. And yet he goes ahead and does it anyway. He hoped for the best, even if he was planning for the worst. He anticipated judgment, but also lived his life in hopeful anticipation. I'm reminded as well of a, a story that may or may not be apocryphal. This Martin Luther may or may not have actually said this, but when he was asked, what would you do if you knew the world was ending tomorrow? He said he would plant a tree and take a nap. You keep on living like you were going to live because when you plant a tree, you know you probably won't see it in its fullness, depending on the kind of tree, of course. So Joseph was doing something kind of like that, embodying Jeremiah's example, Luther's advice. And God calls you in the ups and downs of life to do exactly that, to rest assured that your work is not in vain. Keep on it. Keep on the work that God has called you to, whether you will see its results or not. The influence you have on your community, your congregation, your family, the world, it may take root in fruitful new ways well after your time on earth is done. Whatever God is calling you to, and however well it's going, whether you find yourself stressed or satisfied, in dread or in hope, hear the messenger of God tell you the same thing they told so many before. Do not be afraid. God is with us. God is here, and yet God is to come. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other and have a great rest of the week.